as a way to show the Lord that we're committed to living out his word in this coming year. Let's stand together as, as I read the word of God to you. It's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus is speaking. And Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its power, and I thank you for its clarity. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me today, that you'd ignite the gift you gave me at my salvation to this end, that we would leave here today different people, that this year would be different, and that we would glorify you in a way like never before in this church and in our lives. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, I don't know if you guys have noticed, um, but 2020 was a difficult year. Can I get an amen? I was thinking about it, if you force me to choose one word, like how I feel after 2020, I think I would choose the word weary. Not, not physically weary, I'm actually doing pretty good, but emotionally weary, um, which I'll talk a little bit more about in a minute. But, and you know, in one sense, coming to Sagemont has made 2020, hands down, one of the top couple of years in my life in ministry. I've, I've absolutely loved being here. I mean, I'm not just saying that, I've loved being here. People ask me all the time, do you miss your church? And I lie to them and, and say that I do. I miss my friends, and I do miss them, but I've just loved being here. And so in one sense, it's been one of the best years of my life. But in another sense, because of the virus, this has been one of the most difficult years in my 26 years of ministry. Um, You know, every pastor that I've spoken to over the last few months has said the exact same thing. That for pastors, this has been the most difficult year of their ministry Um, every decision this year that we make as pastors in regards to all this stuff is scrutinized in a way that I've never seen before. Do you you wear masks? Do you not wear masks? Do you social distance? Do you not social distance? Do you meet at all or do you not meet? And every decision that you make, and, and all my buddies have said the same thing, that every decision that you make, it upsets somebody. And so there was sort of a level of strife in the church that I've never seen in my life. And then on top of that, you throw all the racial stuff that's going on this year that's been really difficult. On top of that, the political strife that's gone on in our country. And these are difficult days to lead the church. As a matter of fact, there was a study that um, I recently read from Lifeway that there are more pastors that quit in 2020 than any any year in recorded history that they have. And while I'm not going anywhere, you know, this... This year has taken a, an emotional toll on me, and I would imagine that you can relate. And not because you're a pastor, but just because you're a person that's walked through this pandemic also. And if you're anything like me, you could probably raise your hand. We could probably bring everybody up here in the room today, and they could give a testimony. They could tell a story about how this year has been emotionally draining for them in one way or the other, and that you too, you also are weary. I can't remember a year in my life that 
people have been looking forward to more than 2021. Can you? I don't, I don't know. I'm only 47. But I can't remember people talking about a year they're looking forward to more than this one because they're hoping that somehow the, the calendar is going to flip and turn into 21 and then everything's going to get better. And maybe it will. Maybe it will. But here's what I want to talk about today. And here's, what a, here's one of the things I want to show you this morning is that our hope that we have for rest and the hope that we have for this being a better year is not found in a new calendar date, but it's found in a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. Because no matter what 2021 holds for us, whether the virus leaves, whether it stays, whether times get better, they stay really hard and difficult, whether it's a great year, whether it's a more difficult year than the one we just walked through, Jesus gives us a promise in his word. And this is the promise that he gives us in his word, that he has the power. and He alone has the power to bring rest to yours and my weary soul. And that's really good news, amen? If it's true, which it is, and that is really good news. Because <clears throat> here's what I've found. The longer I've lived, the older I get, the more I realize that genuine rest, I'm talking about soul kind of rest. I'm not talking about going to sleep. But soul rest, peace, that kind of thing is really difficult to come by. And uh, one of the first times that I became aware <clears throat> that I needed rest, that I was emotionally and physically tired, was actually in high school. I was a teenager I was playing football and playing baseball and had all this stuff I was doing. I was having to study a little bit. And, and uh, I remember looking back longingly at the days when my mother would make me take a nap. You remember that when you're a kid, your mom makes you take a nap, but you hate, hate taking a nap, so you get mad. And then you get to high school and you're like, man, I wasted a lot of time being mad about naps. <clears throat> and you really think you're busy. You really think you need rest until one day you wake up, you're in college. <clears throat> and you're taking finals, which are hard. And you're, you're doing all these activities and you're part of all these organizations. And you look back longingly at high school when all you had to do was go to football practice and study a little bit to make your grades. And you think, man, I'm, I'm tired. I need a break. I wish I was back in high school again. Well, then one day you, you wake up and you've graduated from college and, and you've got a job and you've gotten married. And you kind of hits you that if I'm going to feed my wife, I'm going to pay the mortgage, then I've got to work 50, 60 hours to make that happen. And you think, man, I'm actually really tired. I missed the days when I was in college when all I had to do was take finals and hang out with my buddies. And um, then one day you wake up after you've been married for a little while and you have children. You're up all night feeding those little dudes and you're changing their diapers and they're puking on you and they're rubbing peanut butter on the drapes and they're trying to run out in the street and so you're you know that stage where kids are mobile without discernment you know and you have to follow them around everywhere that's the best and you think man I'm tired I need some rest and I remember back in the day when it was just me and my wife and all we had to do was work 50 hours a week and and go on dates you know and you long for those days because and it, but now you got kids well then one day you wake up and those little guys are teenagers but they can't drive yet y'all remember that stage they're teenagers but they can't drive yet and so you literally spend the time you get up in the morning to the time you lay your head at night 
And all you do is drive them from place to place to place to place to place to place. And I had three of those kids. And so that's all we did. One, I told, uh, awaken this, and you may leave the church after this, but it's a true story. But I, I um, one year, several years ago, when my kids were teenagers, Jennifer went on a mission trip to another country for a whole week. And so I was by myself, and they were in that stage where they were all doing things. And I literally, from the time I woke up, so the time I went to bed about 11 o'clock, I was driving them multiple times. And I'm a Southern Baptist, I don't drink. And I remember laying in bed thinking, this is why people become alcoholics. Like that was the thought in my head. <clears throat> and then you wake and you think you need a break until you wake up one day and they're actually driving, which is great. You think this is it. I'm actually gonna get some rest now in my life. But what do they start doing? They start spending your money. Like you're a walking ATM machine. And so you got to work extra hours to not go into abject poverty. And, and that is life. And here's the crazy part is all those things happen in normal years of our lives without a pandemic. But then you throw in a pandemic. And we're tapping out, saying, God, I'm, I'm tired. I need, I need some rest. I need a break. In the book of Matthew, Jesus is going to make a bold claim here. <clears throat> Let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And he said, I will give you rest. I want you to take a second and I want you to look at those two underlying phrases there. Just take a second and look at them. Because honestly, church, those are bold statements. And for people hearing them, the original audience, they would have thought they were, frankly, audacious statements. And let's look at the first one there. Jesus says, if you are, are weary and you're heavy laden, and so that means burdened, okay? Don't raise your hand, but anybody got a burden here? A lot of us do. Jesus is saying, if you're weary, he's talking about your soul, if you're so weary and you have burdens in your life, Jesus says, come to me. Now, you're Christians. That didn't catch you off guard. Why is that an audacious claim? Why is that a bold claim? <clears throat> because notice what Jesus does not say. Jesus doesn't say, if you're weary and heavy laden, come to a new religion. He doesn't say, if you're weary and heavy laden, come to this new self-help program. He said, if you're weary and you're heavy laden, he says, come to me. Come to me. That is a bold and it's audacious claim. And I'll tell you why. <clears throat> I, as I shared before, I'm on the social media platform, Instagram. Um, and my Instagram feed right now is full of advertisements of people telling me they can make my life better. Right? It's, it's New Year's. And what, you know, some of y'all are on Facebook. What, what are all the advertisements on Facebook right now? It's people offering weight loss programs, Right? Some guy, I'm skimming through looking at it, wasting time, and some guy's face pops up and he says, hey, are you tired of being fat? You know, you, do you need to lose weight? Well, I have a message just for you. And I'm pretty sure that that keeps happening on my Instagram feed because Instagram, a logarithm, is communicating with where, like my, tra my iPhone tracking device and they talk and, and the, the tracking device has explained that I went to Whataburger four times last week. And so it's telling Instagram that, 
But anyway, what does the, what does the guy always say? You know, he, he continues to talk and he says, all right, fat boy, here's the thing. You know, I've got a, I want you to come to me because I've got a new five-step program that's going to help you say no to Whataburger and take back your life. And so here's what I want you to hear. Our lives are full of people saying, come to me. We got all kinds of people in our lives saying, come to me, but it's because they have a product or it's because they have a program that they're gonna bring you to that can supposedly change your life. I think it's fascinating. Jesus doesn't say, come to me because I have a new five-step program for you. Jesus says, come to me because I will give you rest. That's bold. Nobody on Instagram or Facebook is saying, come to me because I, within myself, have the power to change your life. Nobody's saying, come to me because I'm the one that has the power in me to fix and to change you. Nobody says that. If they did, we would immediately dismiss them as crazy, but that's exactly what Jesus just said. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, I want you to listen carefully here, guys, because Jesus is teaching us something that's absolutely critical for us to learn as, as believers, as, as human beings. It's critical that real rest of the soul, real relief from the things that burden us are not found in self-help programs. They're, they're not found in religion. They're not even found in church attendance. Jesus says that real rest, the kind that gets down in your soul, it comes from a person. And Jesus said, if you will come to him, if you'll come to him, he will give it to you. Now there's something else in this verse that's honestly maybe more of a bold claim than the fact that he can give you rest. Let's read it one more time, see if you can catch it. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, here's what's pretty crazy about what Jesus just said. Human beings are actually capable of, I want you to hear this. Human beings are actually capable of making that claim. Come to me, I'll give you rest. But only to a really small handful of people in their lives. Okay? In order for you to alleviate someone's burdens, to lift their burdens, to offer them some semblance of rest, two things have to be present. Number one, you have to have relational intimacy. Okay, there's got to be some level of relational intimacy with you and a person for you to be able to make that claim, come to me, I'll give you rest. The second thing that's got to happen is that you have to have the ability and the power to pull it off. So if you can make that claim, you got to have relational intimacy and the ability and power to do it. Okay, and there's very few people in your life you actually have the combination of those two things, relational intimacy plus ability and power. There's a small handful of people in my life that I can say, come to me and actually pull it off. Okay, one's my wife. She's hurting, she's sad, she's struggled, struggling, she's frustrated. I legitimately can say, hey, darling, come to me. I can put my arms around her and I can comfort her. And, and because of, I have relational intimacy with her, because I have some aspect of, of power to be able to comfort her, because I can put my arms around her and talk to her, then I can give her some semblance of rest. Same's true for my children. 
my kids were little, they had nightmares. They'd wake up in the middle of the night, they'd be completely freaked out. They'd come to me, Dad, I'm scared. I could say, darling, come to me. I could put my arms around them, comfort them, make them feel safe because I have that relational intimacy and because I had some semblance of power to be able to comfort them. And even your friends, you've got friends in your life that you have the relational intimacy and, and the ability that if they're struggling, then you can say, hey, come to me, let's hang out, let's talk. And you've got those two things that are required to be able to alleviate someone's burdens. But listen, here's the thing you would never do in a million years. You would never walk up to a complete stranger that you've never met before. You don't know who they are and say, hey, come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to me, complete stranger that I've never met before. And I will alleviate all your burdens. You would never in a million years say that. Why? You don't have the relational intimacy. You don't know what they need and therefore you don't have the power to alleviate their burden. There's only a small handful of people in the whole world that you can offer that to and actually deliver. But I want you to watch what Jesus just said. One more time. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He says, come to me. Everybody say that with me. Oh, wow. Come to me. All. Oh who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus just offered rest to anyone and everyone that will come to him. Now listen, I was thinking about it. The only reason that you would make that claim is one of two reasons. Because if you're in the original audience hearing that, and Jesus just told the whole world, everybody, hey, anybody and everybody, you come to me, I'm going to give a rest to your soul. It's a bold, crazy claim. You either say that for one of two reasons. Just number one, you say that because you're crazy. Or number two, because you actually have the power to do it. Y'all with me? If I walk around saying, hey, I have the power and the ability to catch birds from midair in my bare hands, right? I'm either crazy, I'm either stark raving mad, or I have the ability to do it, right? And you're like, why is he saying that? Go Google it after church. That's what Jesus just did. He said, come to me, everybody, anybody who's weary, I'm gonna give you rest for your soul. And he says it not because he's crazy, listen, because he's the one person in the history of the world that actually has the ability, the relational intimacy to pull it off. And here's the question, why? Why is Jesus Christ the one person in all of history qualified to say that to the whole world and actually do it. And here's the answer. Don't miss this. It's because he's God. He's God. Let me just read a quick verse to you. Don't turn there. Colossians 2.9. Let me read this. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him, that's Jesus, for in him all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. And so Jesus was fully man, and at the same time, he was fully God, and the full nature of God dwelt in Jesus in his bodily form. Now, why is Jesus the only person in the history of the world to be able to validly make the claim that he can offer rest to all of humanity? And here's the answer, because he's the only person in all of history that wasn't just a man, but he's God. And because he's God, that makes him pretty unique, amen? Now, think about it. Every person that's ever lived, every person that's ever lived, God formed them in their mother's womb. Everyone, you're not exempt from that. God didn't 
Let that happen separate from everyone else for your life. He formed everyone that's ever lived in their womb. And so he is the only being in the universe that has relational intimacy with every single person that has ever lived. He formed you. He knows you. And so he is unique in the ability to look at you and say, hey, I know you're struggling financially. He's the only person in the universe that has the ability to look at you and say, hey, I I know that your loved one just passed away. He knows it. He's the only person in the history of the universe that has the ability to know that you're struggling with addiction that nobody else knows about. He's the only person. He's the only one that that looks at you and he knows that you just got the diagnosis for cancer, but you haven't told anyone. He's the one that knows you and knows you're lonely. He's the one that looks at you and knows that your job stinks and is sucking the life out of you. He is literally the only one who knows every one of your deepest needs and every one of your heaviest burdens. Even your spouse doesn't know that. God does, right? And so he's uniquely qualified because of his relational intimacy with you. But here's the second thing. Not only does he have the relational intimacy with you, not only does he intimately know all of your deepest needs and longings, but because he's God, he's the only one that has the power to alleviate every burden. And so at the beginning of the message, I talked about how that if there were one word to describe how I'm feeling right now, I would say emotionally weary. Not physically, but emotionally weary. Now, why? For just a second, why why has this year been so emotionally draining? I've been trying to think about it. Like, why? Well, a lot of it has to do with fear and anxiety. I, I... True story, guys. I heard from a friend of mine in Austin over the last week. This person has not left their house since March. Not one time. Not once. She's made her kids stay there with her. Okay, no, we we think that's crazy because we're in church, you know, and we're we're not in that same place. A lot of people are dealing with fear, but I've been thinking about it. I've been kind of dealing with a low-level fear and anxiety in my life. I was a germaphobe before the pandemic. I was one of those guys that if you shook my hand, I'm like, I'm gonna wash my hands when I get done. And so I I think a lot of us are just walking around with this low-level fear, like what happens if I get it? What happens if I I get it? I'm asymptomatic and my spouse gets it or my my elderly parents get it. Like there's just sort of low-level fear and anxiety that's going on in our lives that we just carry that I think is underneath the surface and we don't even realize it. And then on top of that, there's a lot of uncertainty. Uncertainty is emotionally draining. Is my life ever going to be normal again? Is church ever going to be normal? Is my job ever going to be normal? Are my kids' sports ever going to be the same ever again? Is, is life going to get back to normal? Am I going to be able to you know, pay my bills three months from now? There's a lot of uncertainty, and I think that produces a lot of emotional weariness. But I want you to hear something. Jesus is standing here in the midst of this storm. And what he's saying is that even in a year full of anxiety and fear and uncertainty, he's saying, if you will come to me, even in the midst of the storm, if you'll come to me, I will give rest to your weary souls. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. 
that the reason that at times I deal with fear, that the reason at times that I deal with uncertainty, that the reason at times that I am struggling with anxiety and the reason that a lot of us are, here it is, the reason that's happening, hit me like a ton of bricks, the reason we struggle with that is because we've forgotten that he is God. We've forgotten he's God. We've forgotten he's the only one that we can come to and he's got the power and the ability and the relational intimacy to do anything about it. We forget he's God. I want to show you a real quick story. Real quick story of just how easy it is to forget who Christ really is in our lives. Matthew 8, 23. You've heard it a hundred times if you grew up in church, but I saw something this week I've never really paid much attention to. Matthew 8, 23. When he, Jesus, that's, he's Jesus. When he got in the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, a violent storm developed on the sea so that the boat was being covered by the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. Of course, he's asleep. And they came to him, these disciples, they came to him and woke him, saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing, right? Sound familiar? They're in a storm. Two things are going on. They're in a storm and they are scared to death and they did the right thing. They came to Jesus. They came to Jesus. They're in a storm. They're scared to death. First step, right step. They went to Jesus, but they did it with the wrong heart. I want to show you what I'm talking about. They came to him, verse 25, they came to him and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Watch what Jesus says to him in verse 26. And he said to them, why are you afraid? I want you to let that question rest on you for a second. Storm is raging. He looks at him and says, why are you afraid? He says, you men of little faith. Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the sea, and became perfectly calm. In verse 27, watch the disciples' response. The men were amazed. I took them off guard. It surprised them. They were amazed. And watch what it says. They asked a question. They said, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, Sagemont, the heart of their fear and the heart of their anxiety and the heart of their uncertainty was found in that one little phrase, what kind of man is this? Because here's what happened. The reason they were afraid, the reason they were uncertain, the reason they were desperately overcome with anxiety is because they forgot who he was. They forgot that they were in a boat, look at me, they forgot that they were in a boat riding out the storm with the creator of storms. And that's why Jesus looks at him and says, why are you afraid? And so I think maybe he's asking that to us this morning. Maybe he's asking you that. Why again are you afraid? Because if you're afraid... It's maybe because you've forgotten what kind of man he is. And if you've forgotten what kind of man he is, I want to take just a second and remind you what kind of man he is. Here's what kind of man he is. He's Adonai, which means our Lord and Master. 
He's El Elyon, which means the God most high. He's El Olam, the everlasting God. He's El Roi, the strong one who sees. He's El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. He's Elohim, the God of power and might. He's Jehovah Phirah, the Lord that will provide. He's Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner and our shield. He's Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord our shepherd. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. He's Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the bright and morning star. He's the great I am. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end for crying out loud, saves money. He's God. He's God. He's God. And that's why he says, why are you afraid? So if you're weary, come to him. Jesus says, if you're weary, come to me. I'll give you rest. My goodness, where else are we going to go? Almost done, hang with me. Here's the reality. I believe with all my heart because I've experienced it. We actually come to Jesus. He getting a yoke with him. He does give rest to our weary souls. But it hit me that a lot of times we, we don't actually come to Jesus. In order to find rest, you can't just come to church. You've got to come to Jesus. Do you realize there's a difference between the two? Y'all with me? Do y'all realize there's a difference between the two? You can't just come to church. You gotta come to Jesus. He's here. But you gotta come to him. You can't just go to a Bible study and study about Jesus. You gotta go to a Bible study and study about Jesus and come to Jesus. There's a massive difference between the two. Thinking about that maybe That's exactly what God is trying to do through this pandemic because he works all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so even in this pandemic, God's at work for your good. And you know one of the best explanations I've ever heard of that, I heard on uh, Awaken on New Year's Eve, um, Jesse Reeves, guy that wrote How Great Is Our God, spoke here, excellent sermon. And he quoted the great philosopher Hulk Hogan. Best quote, true story, best quote I've heard on the pandemic yet from a professional wrestler. I'm going to read it to you. This is his Instagram, I I believe. He says, Hulk Hogan, word up. Can you handle the truth, my brother? Only love, whatever that means. He says, in three short months, just like he, that's God, in three short months, just like he did with the plagues of Egypt, God has taken away everything we worship. God said, you want to worship athletes? I'll shut down stadiums. You want to worship musicians? I'll shut down civic centers. You want to worship actors? I'll shut down theaters. You want to worship money? I'll shut down the economy and collapse the stock market. You don't want to go to church and worship me? I'll make it where you can't go to church. And he quotes the scripture, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And then he drops a bomb. He says, maybe we don't need a vaccine. A lot of people didn't like that statement. They want the quick fix. Maybe we need to take this time of isolation from the distractions of the world and have a personal revival where we focus on the only thing in the world that matters, Jesus. Man, isn't that good? Praise God for Hulk Hogan. 
got to come to Jesus. If you will, here's what you're going to find. I'm going to read to you one little other quick quote. I had two quotes for you, and I'm going to pray we're, we're done. I, I read this in a book called Simply Jesus years ago, and it is one of the best quotes about what we find if we'll actually come to Jesus. It's a quote from a pastor that was at the end of his life and he was talking about the faithfulness of Jesus through his life. He said, bottom line, I just flat out get tired of me, but I never get tired of Jesus. After all these years, I still find him more compelling, more engaging, more awesome, more surprising, more fulfilling, and more attractive than ever before. I never get tired of singing his praises or watching him perform. I find him to be gripping, absorbing, beyond comprehension, and that's why along with the Apostle Paul, my grandmother, Billy Graham, and countless others through the years, I find myself longing to know him better. He says, I'm becoming increasingly aware that life doesn't go on forever. When we're young, we think we're bulletproof. We live like we'll never die. But when your knees protest certain movements and your eyesight and your memory begin to grow fuzzy, reality sets in, time moves on, and before long, we all will be at the edge of life in the past tense with most of our days in the rearview mirror. As much as I'd rather not think about it, the day is coming when I'll be sitting in the corner of a nursing home waiting for them to ring the lunch bell. And if life up to that point has been about me, that will be a sad and empty day. Why? Because all I will have will be me, which at that point won't be much. But if my life has been about knowing Jesus and experiencing a deepening relationship with him, as I sit in the corner of the nursing home waiting for the lunch bell to ring, he'll be there with me. And he'll be more wonderful on that day than ever before. And his presence will be my companion and he'll talk with me and I won't have any trouble hearing him when he tells me that I'm his own. He'll say, well, you're almost home. And I'll say, Lord, the sooner the better. I've heard your voice through all these years and now I can't wait to see your face. And so sweet will be fellowship with him that I just might miss that lunch bell altogether. Come to Jesus. You'll find the rest that your soul's looking for.